All right. Uh, welcome to another episode right. of Speed Change Repeat. Um, today with Matthias Wengler. Hi, Matthias. Hi. Uh, so you are uh, a really interesting individual um, with a lot of experience in entrepreneurship. And um, I'm really happy about this conversation that we have today. So uh, we always start our episodes the same way. And um, that is that we give you as the guest the stage to kind of, you know, give an introduction about your persona, where you come from, about your experiences and basically how you ended up at uh, where you are today. Great. Yeah, thank you very much um, for the introduction <clears throat> and uh, for, for being a um, guest um, your podcast. So I am Matthias, as you said, uh, born in Germany um, 40 years ago. I feel already quite old. I had my 40th birthday this year um, in, in, in the Düsseldorf in Bochum. So I'm traditionally yeah, a West, uh, yeah, born in the West of Germany and then grew up there as well um, for the first five years. Then my family migrated to Japan, which was a big booming country in the 80s, in 1984, and um, stayed there until the late 1990. So uh, my first experience in, in international context was the booming country of the East. China was still a very small sleeping giant, but Japan was, so to say, the China of, of that time. Um, and it was a very good experience, um, also for my later choices and careers, I think, uh, in terms of very early on experiences with international people and um, and a big city, of course. And, and I would also say it kind of triggered my openness for risk, risk-taking and, and conquering the world, so to say, from a business perspective. Um, I then uh, came back to Germany, um, graduated in 99, um, started studying in master's economics in the Netherlands, international. I definitely wanted to do something uh, international. Um, so I was, that was a good start and moved on to Paris for my main study um, at a business school, which sent me around Europe. That was a three-year, three-country course. It's no longer existing because of the bachelor and master uh, situation, which then emerged. Um, but I spent some time in England. Um, and then started as a consultant in, in Munich for six years. So I, I started my career as a management consultant. I always wanted to do that. I also did some work experience in investment banking in London, big investment banks. And then I decided to start as a consultant because I stayed pretty general as a generalist and wanted to collect also experience on that side. I always had a mind to, to start a company eventually at some point when I meet the right people. And the, have the right idea. So I thought that consulting is also a good groundwork for preparing me or giving giving me most opportunities to look around and see what could be next. Also, uh, as I mentioned before, I was always very open and motivated to do something international as a consultant. I was traveling a lot. I spent a year in uh, uh, in Boston in 2009 and also half a year in Dubai, Abu Dhabi in 2006. So basically that, that plan worked out. Um, coming back from Boston 2009, um, I also saw an idea which I liked that was working with external experts because as a consultant, you often have to book external experts for your project. Consultants are more generalists um, and the information aggregators, which you know, you take information from different different sources. And that led me to the idea uh, to, to build a platform, an external platform, where consultants could gather external raw information from experts. Um, and that was 
or led us to the foundation of the Senior Partners in uh, 2010. Uh, so basically over the year of 2009 and the crisis, um, the opportunity cost in consulting became less and less, which was a good and a bad thing. Of course, it also kind of hurt lifestyle and a lot of plans career-wise to stay in consulting and maybe have a career um, in the corporate sector. Um, but then it really kind of kicked me or my brain to make that step to start a company and uh, and something new. And that idea was, was taken from the US as often in, in startups because there were already some existing models which which worked out in that regard and wasn't really existing in, in, in Europe. So I take, took that idea of an external expert network, so to say, and uh, came back to Germany, met a friend, Michael Brain, which was the founder of Studifold Set. And he was my first angel and we started the company in early 2010. Um, while the crisis was still very active, um, the, so the Lehman crisis, um, we were able to collect a lot of good, good people on the market and, and started the company with two other consultants and a little bit of money, very modest and moderate amounts, and also very conservative valuation for, for, for modern standards. Um, and that's so to say we did bootstrapped together with Michael Graham for about one, two years, built a platform, programmed it, and, and started in Berlin and our private network. And our private network was often consulting firms, of course, who then became clients. And, um, early on clients um, and slowly and slowly we, we have built a B2B platform um, and our business model is to, to be a broker of knowledge. So on the one hand we have experts, more than 500,000 in the world, and on the other hand we have global customers like McKinsey or other consulting firms um, and we're kind of a traffic platform and every time uh, a client talks to an expert and pays for it, we take a margin in the middle at the, at the, at the market maker. And that's something which we've built over the last 10 years. We're pretty much right now exactly approaching our 10th anniversary. We already started in late 2009, the idea of brainstorming, but the official start was June 2010. So in about six weeks from now, we'll be uh, having our 10th anniversary. And right now we have already uh, 10 offices globally, planning to open up at the 11th in San Francisco in June, and around uh, 300 to 270 people. Um, so right now, I think we can say that we have built something quite robust um, over the years. Um, of course, in B2B, the growth is not as explosive as in many consumer businesses, but we have built um, the company with a relatively, so to say, bootstrapping approach and uh, not too much capital burning and a very sustainable client base with returning revenues. So I think it's a great example of a B2B uh, business uh, built out, out of Germany and Berlin and it's good for the, also the venture scene to see and to, to have some B2B players of international uh, relevance and not only consumer internet focused companies um, and maybe European companies but also truly international companies. We are uh, very active also in Asia, local China, uh, local US, we have also New York, um, Chile, South America and of course the rest of Europe. So that's a little bit the summary, and um, now we are approaching uh, a decade and looking forward for another decade of building the company. Um, and maybe summarize it, we are in the market research technology sector or research technology sector. Yeah. Um, other firms in that sector are maybe statistics you may have heard of. So there's uh, not too many companies in Germany who are active 
in our industry. Most of the companies are more from the US, London or China or Asia. Um, but we, uh, we are happy with what we have done and how we are positioned and look forward to the next 10 years. All right. Um, so thanks, Matthias. And, um, you know, what's really interesting is that a really great opportunity to talk to you because the as 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 you said your company is basically seeing itself as a as a, a knowledge trader and uh, the other thing is also that let's say you said um like your main customers are also obviously like um you know uh, consultancy companies that work with uh, you know experts uh, uh, ex external experts uh, meaning that obviously your platform basically kind of is able to you know track trends in the sense of what kind of knowledge you know is is being demanded on the market you know and there's uh, let's let's talk a little bit more uh, about uh, Athenium. guide me through the process of okay so uh, a new expert coming to your platform what is the process of basically you know getting getting you know the knowledge on the on the platform so that let's say your uh, customers get a more a more variety of possibilities to reach out to experts yeah yeah okay so our platform is basically uh, has three interfaces one is to our clients where our clients can uh, log on see their overview of projects uh, which experts they have been engaging with uh, engagement of an expert is possible in three ways number one talking to the experts which is the biggest sort of say channel Then we have data, which is you send the expert like a, a questionnaire and the expert answers it. And the third uh, channel is the meeting. Yeah? So we call it placement. So if you <clears throat> take the expert for a week somewhere uh, onto the oil platform and make an analysis yeah, or something like that. <clears throat> That's also a business which is co-matches, it's partially doing. So, <clears throat> but uh, the, the core of the platform is, is basically that we connect our experts with our clients and they can use how they exchange the knowledge. Yeah? We, are, we are only the connecting part in the middle. Yeah? Um, so we have the interface to the client. The second interface is to the experts, which shows the expert where they can put in the rate they want to, to charge their uh, CV. Uh, the basic uh, start of the CV is always the LinkedIn profile or similar profile from social media uh, websites like Sing or so, which our system takes as a, as a starting point. And then experts can further refine the experience and work on their profile card, <clears throat> as well as uh, information about their banking, you know, how they want to get their uh, honorarium and fees wired, PayPal or something for checks. It's quite, quite complex because in the world we have 36 different payment uh, systems to pay out experts because some people still prefer cash or checks like in the US and, and others uh, have EBAN systems in Europe. But um, again, in, in China, also you need a local company to pay out Uh, a check or so. So it's a quite complex payments part as well on, on that side. The third interface is an internal. Uh, so we, as a, as a sort of managed marketplace, as you call it, are also uh, supervising these projects and are uh, have customer support and project handling and make sure that the knowledge trans travels correctly from A to B. Yeah? So from the client to the expert and when the client wants something, we facilitate that. So we have kind of a project management organization as a third interface internal and the internal interface also allows us to follow all the KPIs. If we do the right margin, how are the trends of knowledge, what you said, yeah, is it more about life science right or now? Of course, a lot of the projects go to the direction of developing new drugs and, and vaccines against uh, um, influenza virus or, or coronaviruses. Um, so we see how the knowledge uh, request 
um, change in, in different directions. And then we can uh, react to it and then let's say recruit more experts in the area of now we can, of course, uh, any physician or doctor in the area of, of hospital systems is very asked, uh, sought after. And then we can see that and, and actively recruit more experts in that, in that particular field. So we, we see a lot of what's going on and, and, and extract um, data. And with that data, we can learn more and more. So this is a basic system and maybe to walk you through a typical project. So it's very important that we are a demand-driven platform, not a supply-driven platform. Yeah? Um, so we are, uh, let's, say, let's say, one consulting firm out of Singapore now wants to learn about the European market um, of fintechs, yeah? or in, in particular, maybe about uh, retail banking solutions. Because um, the, the Singapore client has another client who is interested to learn about how they could enter the market, as an example. Um, and then they would come to our platform, look around who experts we have in the area of fintech in Europe. Yeah, uh, and uh, our team would assist in finding. So there's an algorithm, an artificial intelligence matching system, which proposes them already existing experts we have. But our team would also help and find and recruit proactively additional experts for their project. Um, and then the client into, would choose those experts, say, okay, we will run a survey. Let's say we want to send a questionnaire to 50 people. Um, or they would say they would interview them in 70%. So the majority of times they prefer the interview format yeah? uh, and book these experts on our platform. So our platform then um, has a synchronization tool with their Outlook calendar, and they would enter the call with the expert, which is some, let's say, FinTech guy in Stuttgart, who talks an hour, like we do right now, to our client in Singapore. Um, and we charge the client for this and pay out the expert and keep a margin in the middle. Um, and so we are brokerage, right? So we're brokering conference calls in 70% of the time. The other parts are that we would send the person or uh, run a survey. Uh, in the case we run a survey, the client would give us the questions. We would work through together to clarify some open questions or translate it. Sometimes translation services are required. Um, and then um, we would send out the survey and the platform does it with keywords um, on, on who would be the right respondent. And uh, we would collect then the answers and send it back to all the client directly receive the, the response uh, answers and data. Okay. So, and then if the project is over, we send the invoice uh, and the expert gets an honorarium. That all happens real time. Um, we get hundreds of requests per day. Um, and these interviews happen thousands, tens of thousands uh, in a given year, more than 100,000 a year. Okay. Um, you know what what is interesting to me is uh, that so like if, if we're saying expert right now what is the typical profile of, of an expert you know because ultimately I mean uh, you know I would think okay so if somebody is an expert on I don't know geology or whatever you know that might be a professor or whatsoever you know you know a lot of professors that are really let's say expert in their field they oftentimes have consultancy uh, consultancy um, com or a company for consultancy on, on the outside but I mean like mostly people are let's say even if they're experts or so they're you know they somewhere have a job you know because otherwise i mean this needs to be a full-time engagement for them right they uh, because otherwise like uh, you know it would be difficult if you have like one engagement or two engagements or whatsoever and you need to you know then 
do invoices for that or whatever yeah. get pay tax pay extra taxes for that like so what is the typical profile yeah. of like an expert you know yeah good good point um so our media side experts who have uh, years of experience in a given commercial field so first of all we're not interested so we're focused on b2b so our clients are companies and experts are people who understand a certain industry so can like German market for insurance for cars or um, stuff like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, we, we have we still, so this is very important. Our experts are all people who understand also niche areas of a given market. Okay. We don't have experts that say tax experts or no professional experts. We have no consultants strictly, no consultants, no legal people. This is not what we. This is, all our experts don't make money with their knowledge. Yeah, mm -hmm. we're a little bit with it like Airbnb. Yeah, uh, so we don't have professional hotels, so to say. We only have like like a dentist is a perfect expert. Mm -hmm. He knows perfectly how you know um, how the market works for drugs in this field, which might be interesting for a consultant at McKinsey because they are not specifically enough to understand it, or they they are more generalist. Um, but they can access knowledge from a specialist. Yeah, the perfect expert would be somebody who's like maybe did eight years of CEO or five years of leading a marketing division of Siemens in China on some specific product. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so our experts are all real business people. Yeah. No professors, very few professors. If it's a professor, it also needs to be someone who works in the business and has understanding for margins, pricing, competition, um, and not just theoretical knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that so we basically connect generalists. Generalists could be part of equity people, consultants, um, strategy people with specialists. It's very special. Very, very. They usually come to us uh, with a niche question. We mm -hmm. usually also say, or one of the claims we have is, we start where Google stops. Yeah. Um, all the people who come to us with the questions already did all the research. They read all the research papers, they Googled everything, all articles, talked to everyone, and then come to us to deep dive into the real profound analysis. Okay. Um, so, we, so we're in real investigative research. So all the experts on our platform, by the way, are also not doing that full time. No? It's like Airbnb. It's basically as if you would rent out your room and you go mm -hmm. on vacation extra. None of our experts is a professional expert. All right. All on top of their regular job. Okay. Meaning that, like, for example, uh, let's say, okay, there's a new request coming in, right? And there's no, let's say, no registered expert on that um, on the platform as of right now. Mm -hmm. Let's say mm -hmm. your team is going out and doing the research in order to track down basically a person, you know, that uh, you basically qualify uh, as an expert for this, for this specific request. Mm -hmm. Meaning that... Uh, let's say if we compare that to an Airbnb host, basically, I mean, do, uh, there needs to be a really, let's say, interesting offering, right, from a monetary perspective. Um, so is there like a fixed budget from the client or like, and how is that then basically yeah, negotiated, yeah, yeah. right? So we have framework contracts with all the large clients. Sometimes you also have new clients by reference, but uh, we have framework agreements. It's also a big part of the business. Um, so our market is a quite large market. There's you know, it's the billion dollar market of paying fees to experts, number one. Yeah? Um, and in order to be, a, you know, if you work with a McKinsey or an Ernst, like PwC globally, this is, this is number one, takes years to get approved in the system. Right? Uh, once you are approved in, in, with such a client, 
um, you have to agree or part of the process is to agree on pricing ranges. It's not like, you know, so we, are, so we would have a pricing range um, for, let's say, senior experts, normal experts, 60-minute calls, 30-minute calls. So you have a framework. Right, right, right. Uh, and, that is, and that is a framework of which when a consultant comes to us, they know already in their system what a call would cost. It's typically around $1,000 per, per hour. Okay. Sometimes it's $1,250, so it's around 1,000 euros or so for talk, to talk to an expert for an hour. It's actually quite, you know, quite some time to, to find these, you know, to find these type of experts, meaning that uh, if like people are doing it, you know, my next question would be actually, okay, is there maybe a thought of, you know, using, using technology, you know, in order to track down experts, you know, like, because otherwise I yeah. imagine, you know, having manual, manual labor, you know, can be uh, very time consuming on, on uh, let's say, um, tracking down these experts. Yeah, it's, it's a good example of, uh, I think, fruitful mix of smart brain work of human beings and good technology. Yeah. Um, right now, there is no technology in the world to just cover all of this process. There's a lot of human touch as well, right? So, I mean, we have tons of systems and APIs. We have crawlers in the world, um, crawling linked in all the platforms, but also articles. So let's say when a company start the project um, with us, we make sure that within 12 hours, we have uh, crawled and uh, researched all available articles and sources in the world for people working in that space, let's say, the, the example of Singapore. FinTech Insurance Germany, uh, we would have sources giving us all the people working for Clark and all these, you know, VFOX and guys like that, mm -hmm. going through hundreds of articles. So there's technology who can crawl through that, yeah? We have technology how to reach out to them even, yeah? Uh, we have, uh, unfortunately, um, LinkedIn and other networks don't allow APIs, right? That would be beautiful. That would be too nice to be true because, of course, LinkedIn doesn't want us to just copy-paste their entire database. Um, so there, there's a couple of ways how to work around that and, and there's a lot of technology. Then our platform has, of course, already existing experts, which are around 500,000. There's keywords which these experts are connected with, so we get already um, a, a big short list of, of people who have worked in the space. Then the external experts are, are, are together, you know, presented, and we send out emails or notes to those people also automatized. You have a new project, are you interested, business or contacts, etc. That, that is all automatized. And then there's uh, other layers of automatization, which are not necessarily on the expert recruitment, starting with invoicing to the client. They're very closely ingrained at the client systems. No? So, so it's from starting the project also to, to sending the invoice, to that, that the case codes are extracted correctly, the name from the client, it's all turned into PDF, et cetera, like that. There's a lot of technology involved. Um, however, when you manage such a project, a manual part is always it's very critical uh, to be successful. It's also competitive, so to stay ahead of competition. Um, it's often, let's say, you know, the client also calls you from the phone, uh, from a gate, from an airport, and says, hey, I'm boarding. I need three more experts in this, in this field. Then they call their contact person of trust and say, can you just organize it to me? Then you call, then he's boarding his flight. You're talking to the expert who is one of the experts who he wants to talk to, and he already answered through the system that he might want to do it, but he's on vacation tomorrow, next day. And, the, and your client just said that he needs to totally talk to him tomorrow. So how do you, you know, then 
you have an, you have people who would reach out to the person who's already on vacation, the expert, say, hey, this is a very important project, you get some extra uh, fees, um, can you make yourself available? He's like, yeah, but I'm on a sailing boat. And then you, you have to discuss, okay, but on that, you know, it's 3 p.m., you're in the harbor, and you can take the call, right? And we are happy to pay you another 500 euros for it yeah. if you can make yourself available. So these are the things you are, where the human uh, factor kicks in to make this key calls and key insights from the experts available to the key clients. And that makes also the, cl- ex- the client come back again and the expert to keep working with us. Um, it's important to have a very good technology, uh, but uh, the very good manual uh, factors from human touch are a superpower. Yeah? Okay. Uh, it's also, I mean, we have a lot of artificial intelligence algorithms, but all of this is useless uh, if, if, if the people working together are, are not uh, taking the best out of it. So it's, you can look at it like a yin and yang, right? So you have a yin, which is technology, and yang is the people working with it. And it's also our philosophy that we are, we are a good combination of both. Um, and, and often companies say they are only working uh, technology, it's often also marketing. Uh, if you look at even Google, they have huge sales force of meeting people. And in order to, to sign good contracts, it's a lot about trust and, and, and good salespeople and two people, a woman or a man, sitting there having a, having a lunch and discussing the contract. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> it's, it's, um, it's true, there's a lot of human touch. What is important is that this human touch happens effectively and, and we have the best systems and technology to support them. That's really, really interesting. So if we're already talking about technology, then what are patterns that you basically mm-hmm. observe? You know, patterns of, you know, uh, in, in your in your requests basically for experts you know do you see a pattern yeah, like a yeah. you know because i mean the last years um the last couple of years you know i mean everything in in, in business and also you know you, you can look at the big consultancy companies everything is like moving more and more towards let's say technology and 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 let's say a heavy uh, use of technology and let, let's say you know trying to establish new business models and whatsoever trans- transforming everything you know is there a, a, a trend that you see in the requests um yeah sure we see always different patterns of of requests by region and vertical uh, vertically, we define different industries, let's say automotive, artificial intelligence within automotive. So we have um, eight major categories of industries, and below that are uh, subcategories. We have around 256 subcategories. And then there's thousands of third-level third layer sub-industries. Um, and, um, of course, there are trends. Now, of course, a big trend is towards um, supply chain changes because of uh, coronavirus, but also a lot of questions and demand in the life science sector to develop new vaccines and drugs. Um, a lot of activity. Uh, last year was a lot of TMT related activities um, in fintech and others. So you could also say where you see M&A trends, so people financing ideas in the business world or financing the future, is where we get active yeah? and where we see new trends of requests coming in. Um, so we basically work, or our experts work with our clients on things which come to the news in two, three weeks. Uh, when you, everything you read now on the Financial Times or Handels Plus are probably projects we have been working on in February, all right, four to six weeks ago. Um, so it's very interesting to see um, what's, what's being requested and what people look at because we at the very forefront 
of where people invest their money. And that's why they look for senior experts' advice on if this market is, you know, regular example, regulation, how does the tax system change in China, trade wars in the US, what is the impact on a certain type of steel or car. Um, and then they, our clients would take um, their con con conclusions out of that if they want to build a factory or if they start buying an, a, a competitor or not. It's, uh, it's very much future oriented. And, and topics change all the time, but right now we see a lot of Corona-related uh, projects. Okay. Um, let's talk, okay, so when you're mentoring Corona, I mean, um, we don't have that much time left, but, um, you know, uh, yeah. I want to try to focus our conversation, obviously, on, 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 let's say, the status quo and, and what is happening and uh, obviously, you know, uh, kind of get your opinion on, on certain things, you know, and uh, therefore it's good of you yeah. uh, closing your sentence with coronavirus. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah. Uh, how do you see the current i mean let's say let's move away from from let's say um you know uh, ethereum and and more let's say from from your personal mm -hmm. perspective you know i mean uh, before the call we already talked uh, you and me already talked briefly about you know your um how you basically because you have 10 offices worldwide right you, you have a really good view on things how do you yeah, currently yeah. see the you know the the overall situation from let's say you know maybe you know, maybe from a from an economic perspective, you know, in general for, let's say, big companies, but also maybe, you know, for, you know, um, startups, you know, for the whole startup scene or people that, you know, want to start up out businesses, you know, maybe you can also give some, you know, some uh, suggestions on how do you see basically the next, let's say, 12, 24 months moving? Where do you see like certain trends going and stuff like that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So as you said correctly, we're active in... Uh also Asia, the US, 10 global offices, and we, we saw actually in January, February that we are in um, impacted in, in Asia quite a bit. Um, so we have seen um, business being down there, but it picked up quite quickly uh, with the record month in China in March already, where things got really bad in, in Germany, and, and April was a weak month all around Europe. Now the US is a big question mark, but overall, I think the lesson is that for us, what we can see, obviously, I can only speak for uh, for our segment, which, but we do cover quite a lot of verticals. Um, it, it, it's relatively well rebounding. Uh, we, we do see a relatively quick recovery. Um, in Asia, it was quite quick, but also, of course, it was connected with a very, let's say, um, yeah, good approach towards data, uh, tracking people and all that, which might not be entirely possible in, in Europe to the same degree. And people were also very disciplined. So in, in Asia, we have seen uh, quite a positive trend in terms of rebound. Um, and what the indication is from the US that it will also be rather quickly in terms of rebound because also people are very business focused. Um, and do also to a certain degree depend on business more than we do in Europe. Um, so my view is, our view is rather positive. We expect uh, uh, we expect a further slowdown. Of course, 2020 will be a very slow year overall in activity or decreasing. But that after summer, we, we expect business activity to go up again uh, in most sectors. Uh, so we plan also with an increase uh, in volumes already in terms of planning as of September. And right now, also, we expect that uh, April has been uh, bottoming already, so we don't expect uh, to worsen between 
March and, and August. Um, I mean, July, August are typically also weaker months for the world economy in general because of the vacation season. Um, and I don't expect things kind of to rebound before that. So that would be a bit too early because we are already in May now and June is not very far away. And then it's kind of vacation, summer vacation time. Um, so we, as we can see it, most people kind of expect uh, post-summer September to rebound, slowly recover. Mm. And then uh, recovery to continue into 21. Then 2022, first full normal year again. So next year will be still not ideal, but recovering slowly. You know, uh, what I want to get out from you is because you have a big network, let's say, um, I guess, uh, also in the uh, venture capital scene and also startup scene. Um, I reckon and um, you know I mean we, we talked about this briefly before this call as well that for the before the corona crisis I mean um, exactly 12 months ago right collecting money for your startup idea yeah. uh, well let's say kind of was um, a walk in the park you know quite frankly I mean like obviously uh, I mean that is an over exaggeration but I mean still how do you see like for example because you know, on this podcast, we talk a lot about, let's say, you know, developments of te technologies, you know, and from, let's say, you know, the, the, the application, let's say, in society also, let's say, from an economic perspective and stuff like that. Not, re not really much from the, let's say, pure the theoretical perspective. And for technologies, basically, to get into society, right, they need to be, let's say, they need to be harnessed and, let's say, need to be utilized in business, right? They need to be put into some sort of product. I mean, you can have the best algorithm, the best research or whatsoever, you know, the best technology. If you cannot really put it into, let's say, a business model, it will not, let's say, spread, right? And um, so what I want to get out from you is, uh, let's say, you know, things like, you know, and also the other thing is, um, obviously... Uh, the past, uh, let's say, two years and three years, more and more, every business, you know, claims to use and do and do something on artificial intelligence, right? How do you see basically now after this crisis, you know, uh, let's say uh, venture capital being, let's say, uh, an important aspect and let's say f funding for startups and stuff like that. How do you see this whole scene evolving, you know, like? Do you think like, okay, if you're saying like, yeah, from September onwards, let's say global economy wise, we might like we might get up again, you know, we'll, it will rise. But how do you specifically see like this space of like, you know, startups, you know, startups getting funding and stuff like that, technology being more developed, new, new types of businesses and sort of so on? Yeah, um, I do think of, I mean, digital is probably rather a winner than a loser in this process. We will see a lot of uh, catalyst processes, so big push towards digitalization on the education front, on the healthcare front, uh, but also other sectors, uh, working from home, etc. And so I think digitalization will more benefit than uh, from the overall, uh, definitely from the overall trend. In terms of funding and venture capital, I'm good, like at least for this and next year, that's it's definitely harder than in the last years because there's just so much less liquidity. Yeah. Um, and most funds will focus on the portfolios to keep them alive. There's a lot of uh, bloodshed. There's a lot of companies losing a lot of money, a lot of cash. Uh, if you look at the mobility uh, scene and, and all these startups, of course, in the last years. So we, we, we did all boom. So that's very different. But if you started a company three years ago, you, you, you were like naturally programmed to burn a lot of cash which is very painful right now, especially now when you also lose your revenues. And um, so a lot of VCs are very busy 
managing their portfolios. I also expect uh, a good proportion of companies to go bankrupt, uh, which is also a natural selection. Uh, if, if you are, I mean, it's, a, it's an accelerated selection process because many of these companies would go bust or bankrupt anyways over a 10 year time. So maybe they go bankrupt now after three or four years and not after 10 years. So it's a, it's an accelerated, uh, selection process on the portfolio side. Uh, in terms of funding, the, of course, the topics change. If you have now, if you're in the touchless, uh, area, Silicon Valley right now has a big, uh, a big boom of touchless uh, startups. Um, probably it's now easier to fundraise, but overall it gets much tougher. Touchless. It's just less, uh, it's more, you say, more uh, dogs, less bones. Yeah. Right. Uh, so hunting a bone, it becomes tougher. Uh, just, just as a natural equation. Uh, it's just less liquidity in the market, so people will be more careful. Um, so you have to be much more considerate about your startup, what is your business model, what is the right market. Uh, there's also flight to quality, so you have to really show that the market is there probably, and it's more about fundamentals, um, showing revenue opportunities and, and not just some, um, yeah, some, some idea, I think. Um, also, things have to be less dependent on online marketing. I think of you seen over the last 10 years, a lot of models showed revenues, but bought revenues. So not your really originated own revenues, but just basically were dependent. You paid a big tax to, to Google or GAFA and didn't keep a profit. These business models, like what you've seen in the Casper world, for instance, mattresses, uh, these business models will not work anymore and did ne actually never worked. Uh, but now these, these business models now will also not get funding on top of it. Um, so I think the, the, the venture world will, will continue. Uh, private equity is very strong because uh, interest rates are expected to stay low. So there will be continuous, I think, private investment. Uh, but the risk factors are changing a bit and, and people will be more selective. And so for the venture scene, in terms of valuation, venture round, funding of new companies, I think uh, it's definitely tougher than before, but it also has a good aspect because there have been a lot of bullshit being done at very high valuations, which right. nobody really trusted. So there's kind of a, I, th I would say there's a cleaning up in the, in the, in the, in the scene, and then it's a little bit, it may be too hard, but it's kind of a, a cleaning thunderstorm. And right. then it's good to grow out of that again. I'm very positive about about the whole process. Uh, so, I don't think that strong companies would go bankrupt. Right. So let's say, you know, you being an entrepreneur, uh, obviously the last question uh, I got to ask yeah. you, uh, I have to ask you is, um, you know, um, you obviously, you know, uh, looking and, and discussing a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of things and like always, you know, there's always idea, you know, like if somebody's an entrepreneur, they always have ideas and they always think about stuff and they always discuss uh, discuss things, right? So, yeah. last yeah. question is, from the things that you are observing right now, right, and, and what you see um. and what you have seen, let's say, the past years, what is, an, uh, what is, like a, what is a business that you would start, you know, um, let's say, in this crisis or let's say after the crisis is, like, you know, going over and into the ne next decade, basically, in the next decade of, you know, mm. maybe a better wow. time and stuff like that. No, that's a tough one. So businesses which are most likely to, uh, most um, likely to get funding over the next years. Uh, so I think anything fintech is expected to stay strong, very touchless. Anything which 
um, empowers the consumer or the business companies uh, on the touchless side. Um, that that uh, anything on e-education, certainly uh, anything healthcare related like teleclinics and telemedicine, that kind of stuff. Um, anything which helps to to work remote and uh, touchless. I think this is a big keyword um, in the in the valley right now and has very good has very good chances of being funded. Okay, but that's just uh, some trend I see um, and. Maybe I, I would give you a different answer if I'm actually would research to start a new company. I haven't done that. <laughs> uh, but uh, that, these are definitely trends I'm, I'm seeing and hearing. Interesting. All right, Matthias. Thank you very much for uh, this right. great conversation. Thanks. It was a pleasure. All right. Thanks a lot.